Joshua 1.9 says, Haven't I commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Amen? Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful for this time that we can come together in this time of worship. And Lord, we're thankful that we don't live life alone, that you're right beside us. And Father, I pray that we live life because of that with confidence and strength. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Good to see everybody today. It's a great day to be together to, to worship the Lord. Amen? Amen. We're glad you've chosen to join us to do that. This morning, make sure, make sure you fill out your connection card. And if you're watching us online, please do the same so that we can continue to keep contact with you. And also, um, before we continue singing, you're going to have three minutes to go say hi to someone. Don't just hang out with your buddies, but make someone feel, and you introverts, you can just sit there if you need to, but people will come and say hi to you. So, here we go.
sunshine's glow its day may brighter, fairer be. Oh, joy that seeketh me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the toys all the time up here. <laughs> what can happen if you don't know or understand the truth on a given subject? You're just maybe, you don't have all the information, maybe there's some ignorance. What ends up happening many times is we can fall prey to false teaching because we only know part of the, the subject, or maybe we don't know any at all, and somebody can come up and be very convincing, or even bring evidence that may be real or maybe not, that would say, okay, I need to believe this, I need to follow this. Failure to know the truth about God will have eternal consequences. And as we examine the passages throughout this series, a lack of understanding of the truth was causing people to live their lives in a way that wasn't pleasing to God. They were doing things that God didn't want them to do because they, they thought they knew something that they didn't. They did not grasp the truth. And in our, subject, in our passage today, Paul's going to continue with the subject we've been looking at the last couple weeks, and we've already said a great deal about. Even though Paul had already said a lot concerning the second coming, there was still false information that people were following, that people were falling for. The main object of this chapter was to correct erroneous impressions that had been made on the minds of the Thessalonians by people who were coming and saying, hey, Paul said this, <clears throat> Timothy said this, Titus said this. They probably even produced some writing that, that, that was forged to say, hey, look, here's what they're teaching. They received the impression that an event was taking place that wasn't. And because they thought the day of the Lord was with them already, they start, many of them started living their lives in a way that just says, okay, I'm just waiting now, I've given up, because the Lord is here. This belief, though, produced unhappiness in the minds of the people, and we see that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 2. And it became necessary for Paul to hit the same subject again because he wanted to free their minds from alarm. He wanted to bring, continue to bring peace to them. 
After all that's been written today on this subject of the second coming, in, in this day and age, there is still a great deal, a great deal of false teaching on this subject. And if we're not careful, we think, well, you know, a lot of times I say how things end doesn't matter. And, and what I mean by that is you have to be ready. If you're ready, then it, how it ends really honestly doesn't matter. You just have to be ready. But the problem is if you fall for a lot of the stuff that's out there today, a lot of the teaching, the Left Behind series and that kind of stuff, what can happen is the logical, the logical outcome of that is you can say, okay, I'm going to wait till I see things. I'm going to wait till these things happen before I make a decision for Christ. And that second chance theology is not even scriptural, by the way. But when we believe things that aren't true, it will lead to bad theology, which leads to, so many times, improper lifestyles. If we're waiting for certain signs to happen before we commit to Jesus, what if we never see them? What if we die before those signs come? The undercurrent of the message today is as follows. Number one, where do you go for truth? When it comes to faith in Jesus, we have to go to God's word. I can't tell you how many times people have given me their ideas about God, about Jesus, about the second coming, about their faith, and they'll share these views with me. But these views don't appear to line up with Scripture. So I'll ask the question that I always ask, where is that in the Bible? Where is it? Well, you know, so-and-so, Andy Stanley or somebody, somebody taught me this, or I read this in a book, or I saw this in a sermon, or I watched a movie based on, a, on I love it when they say based on a true story. It means a couple people were alive on the planet and something happened, you know, that's the, but, but most of the time their view is not found in scripture, or if it is found in scripture, context is so important. Judas hanged himself, therefore go do likewise. That's biblical. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, you see my point? When Paul dealt with incorrect teaching, the way he combated that was with the truth of God's word. And ultimately, when, we're, when, we're, when we have subjects before us, folks, you've got to be able to take it to the word. When somebody says this and this and this, right now it's popular to say, well, what's happening in Israel? Man, this, it fits this in, in Revelation. It fits this, it fits this. <clears throat> it may or may not. Where does it say in the scripture? Where is, it that, where is it? Not just some veil reference, where is it? And we have to be able to do that. Our sermon this morning is entitled, Know the Truth. And we're going to delve into the depths of this passage to uncover some timeless wisdom that resonates in our, with our lives yet today. Those who call themselves Christians, those who follow Jesus, have an obligation to know God's word. You may not know every single thing, and by the way, just as a little teaser, next year we're going to go through a whole series, the whole year, called Core 52. <clears throat> we're going to look at 52 passages of Scripture, and we're going to give you books that hopefully you will read. It's been 15 minutes a day, five days a week. That's all you got. And don't tell me you don't have that much time because you do, because you're watching sports and you're doing everything else, okay? You're reading the, you're reading the fish wrap here in town, which is, anyway, I'm not going to say what that's good for. But anyway, you're, you're doing all these things. 15 minutes, and if, you, if you'll spend 15 minutes five days a week in this, in, in this series we're going to be doing next year and into 2025 for a couple weeks, you're going to learn a lot about Scripture, a lot. Many subtle traps can lead us astray, and there are consequences for being swayed by falsehoods. They can be devastating. The big idea to the message this morning is that Paul encouraged believers not to be misled or afraid concerning the second coming. 
Now, I hope you brought your scuba gear today because we're gonna go pretty deep into some of this stuff today. So I hope you can hang with me on this. All right, so we're going to begin this morning in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. This is the easy part. Well, sort of. Now regarding the arrival of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to be with him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, do not be easily shaken from, or from your composure or disturbed by any kind of spirit or message or letter allegedly from us to the effect that the day of the Lord is already here. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not arrive until the rebellion comes and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. So the encouragement that Paul begins with is don't be deceived. In the latter parts of chapter one, of, excuse me, of the first book of Thessalonians, Paul explains the events that would occur as Jesus returned. And remember what we said during those few weeks. When people give you ideas or give you books or there's movies put out purporting to be of the word of God, you have to look at those facts and line them up with that. Because Paul says, here is how it's going to happen as the Lord is returning. And any deviation from that is not biblical. Well, some people were deceived in the church thinking that they were in the midst of the day of the Lord. They thought, well, it's here, so let's move up to the mountains, and I've talked about this before, let's quit our jobs, let's sit here and wait for Jesus to take us up, because Paul said he's going to take us up. Well, this deception led to people living life in a way that wasn't, they weren't fulfilling their purpose. The wrong ideas these folks were being tricked into believing was having a negative impact on the church and on their lives. In verse 1, it uses the phrase, by the way, being gathered. Jesus used this same verse, this same word, I should say, the same phrase in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 31 where he says, And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet blast, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from the ends of heaven, from, from one end of heaven to the other. This same phrase is used by Paul in first chapter 2 and verse 1. While we're being gathered together with him, what that is is it, it does picture that both the readers at that time and the writers will be caught up to meet the Lord together. And it appears that they will be alive at the time until you look at the rest of the context. See, they thought they were going up right then and there. And Paul says, oh, wait a minute. We will, but not the way when you think. See, the following verses gives us what must happen before the second coming. So Paul says, before Jesus comes, here's, what's, here's the events. And he said, by the way, later on, I've taught you these things. We just didn't see them in 1 Thessalonians, but he taught them to them, he said. So it makes it clear when you look at the rest of the verses that both the original readers and the writers were going to be among those who were dead and raised up first to meet the Lord in the air. So right there, that kind of shot the idea that, hey, the day of the Lord's here. Let's go live on the mountain. Paul says, no, I'm going to share some events with you that you will see so you will know what I told you in 1 Thessalonians is happening. Any notion that 1 Thessalonians chapter, 1, chapter 4, verses 15 through 17 would imply a belief of an imminent return, I mean that Jesus went to heaven, he's coming right back, doesn't fit with the other teachings on the subject. So therefore, Paul's implication is you guys got to reject that. You guys think he's coming back right this minute, which he could, but the point is you've got to be prepared for the long term. People were shaken because they were not taking the teachings of Paul seriously. And there were people that were get, coming in and saying, oh wait, here's what, here's what else Paul didn't tell you. 
They were trying to drag people away. And honestly, I don't understand why. Don't know why you'd do that, but it was happening. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses, excuse me, chapter 2 verses 1 through 3, what we find here is a powerful warning about the devastating effects of the deception. The passage highlights the importance of remaining strong, remaining vigilant, and discerning in the face of misleading influences. And just like then, even today, we have to be discerning in the, in the face of what, what's being taught. Being deceived can have a profound implication on your life. A lot of the stuff that's taught today about the second coming is a second chance theology. A matter of fact, a lot of it that's being taught, Jesus himself rejected at the time it was in his day. But yet today, it's still, probably since the 1800s, it's still been out there and people just go get excited about it. And Paul says, what you guys are believing isn't true. Deception can cloud our judgment. It can distort our perception of reality. It can hinder our ability to make wise decisions. The consequences of being deceived have far-reaching effects in our life. It can fragment our relationships. It can sow discord. It can create divisions among people. It can erode trust. It can lead to broken bonds. It can shatter uh, Christian communities. Deception also robs us of our peace and our inner stability. It can leave us feeling lost, confused, and disillusioned. And that's what was happening in the church of Thessalonica with many people. In verse 2, the word shaken, he says, I don't want you to be shaken. That was used of sea travel when a storm would blow a ship off its course. And he's saying, folks, I don't want you blown off course because of the things you've been taught. Verse 3 begins with the words, let no one deceive you in any way. And he says, whether it's by somebody saying, I've been inspired by God to say this, whether it's by just speaking or whether it's by writing, Paul says, don't be deceived in any way. And by the way, just because I say something, say the Lord told me to say this doesn't mean it's true. The Old Testament, by the way, when somebody claimed to speak for God, what happened to them when it didn't come true? They got invited to a rock party. <laughs> that was serious. And today, many people throughout the ages said, you know, the Lord told me to say this, or this is from God. And you're like, mm, you know how you tell if it is or isn't? Does it line up with what God's already said? And if it doesn't, it isn't. There's a new revelation of Jesus Christ. No, there's not. No, there's not. And if that person or that group says, hey, here's a new revelation of Jesus Christ, and that revelation doesn't match up with God's word, it is not a new revelation of Jesus Christ. It is from the devil. And you've got to know that. Well, you're being judgmental. No, I'm not. I'm not either. God is saying these things when you look at Scripture. So Paul says, let no one deceive you in any way. Let's move to verses 3 through 12. This is where it's going to get fun. Let no one deceive you in any way, for, that day, for the day will not arrive until the rebellion comes and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. And everybody throughout history has put a name on that. It's Adolf Hitler. It's, it's uh, Herod the Great. Uh, some of you's recent presidents. Um, anyway. He opposes. Now, now, when we read this, I want you to listen to the passage. Okay, Look what God's word says, and that dispels pretty much everyone who's ever been accused of being this. And by the way, we'll see that it's not Satan either. He works for Satan. Here we go. He opposes and exalts himself. Although, wait a minute, this does sound like a lot of politicians. He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship. 
And as a result, he takes his seat in God's temple. We'll talk about that too because that has been misinterpreted by many people. Displaying himself as God. Surely you recall that I used to tell you these things while I was with you. So Paul says, I've been teaching you about this stuff. And so you know what holds him back so that he will be revealed in his own time. For the hidden power of lawlessness is already at work. However, the one who holds him back will do so until he's taken out of the way. And, when, and then the, law, the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will destroy by the breath of his mouth and wipe out by the manifestation of his arrival. Speaking of the second coming. The arrival of the lawless will be by Satan's working and all kinds of miracle signs and false wonders <clears throat> and every kind of evil deception directed against those who are perishing because they found no place in their hearts for the truth so as to be saved. Consequently, God sends on them a deluding influence so they will believe what is false. And so all of them who have not believed the truth but have delighted in evil will be condemned. So our second observation is very simply, fight deception with the truth. So how does Paul help the church who's struggling with some things that aren't true? He brings the truth to, the, to light. And the events shared in 1 Thessalonians 4 were not going to occur before the events that we see in this chapter. So what he's going to talk about in this chapter happens before what we read about the second coming. And many people in their theological systems have conflated these things. They've, <clears throat> they've mixed them together and just pulled them out of a hat. Today, there have been many false, uh, many have falsely put the events of 1 Thessalonians 4 when they say, well, the Christians are going to be removed for anything bad happens before these events take place. And that doesn't fit the flow of Scripture. Once again, look at what the Bible says, not what people want it to say. The first event on the day of the second coming will not take place until, first of all, the rebellion is, that comes happens. Now, this rebellion had to happen before the second coming. The word translated rebellion is a word called apostasia, which means to rebel against a political authority or a religious defection of falling away. Now, taken by itself, if you just read that piece, it looks like, man, that, this is happening. Here it is. We've been in this for a long time. But what's going to happen at this point is people are going to turn away from God in a big way. But that alone is not the sign because people have been turning away forever. Paul's readers, to be honest with you, probably had a better insight to what this exactly means than we do today because he said, I've been teaching you on this subject. So we have, we're at a little bit of a disadvantage, believe it or not, than what they were at that point. So the first thing that's going to happen is a rebellion. But then the second event is the man of lawlessness the son of destruction, will be revealed. Now, some say that it was Titus, the emperor that destroyed Jerusalem in AD 70, and that's a pretty good pick, but the problem is he doesn't fit the description fully. Neither does any past president or current president doesn't fit that. Neither do a lot of the politicians that people, the names that people try to give, they haven't fit because when you look at the passage, they've got to fit it all. They will set themselves up above all gods, and every object of worship. They're gonna, they're, one of the things they're going to do is they're going to say, I am God, worship me. They're gonna, and now it's true that the Roman emperors kind of did that, but the other part about Rome is they kind of let you do your own thing. 
In other words, they didn't demand that you just worship the emperor alone. Like Judaism, the Jews, they were allowed to worship Jehovah. They just also had to give tribute to, 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 to Rome. So the other thing is the Roman emperors were not, were not performing signs, miracles, and false wonders. That is one of the things that this person, when he comes, will be doing. And he's going to wow people. And we have to understand what's going on and not fall for it. The man of lawlessness at the time of that writing had not appeared. Therefore, Paul's audiences, he surmises, were not in the day of the Lord. He has not appeared to us either at this point. So therefore, we are not at the second coming at this point. The lawlessness, when he calls him a man of lawlessness, has nothing to do with the law of Moses because Jesus basically fulfilled the law of Moses. It's no longer in effect. This land of lawlessness is doing an outright, an outright all-out assault on God himself. And that's what this person's going to do. He's going to try to lead people with his signs and wonders and say, hey, look, you've been following this fake God. Look what I can do, abracadabra. And people, wow, the sheeple will follow right with him. <clears throat> and you know what? You can kind of see in our society how easily that can happen because you've seen how the sheep line up behind the politicians when they want to do stuff to us. And we're just, okay, tax us to death. Okay, spend all of our money. And we're, bah, I'm going to vote you back in office, you know, and then complain about not having any money. Uh, the other part is in verse 4 it says this person will be taking a seat in God's temple now here's the issue with this there are a lot of uh, a lot of Christians who say hey we got to rebuild that you know the temple in Jerusalem is going to have to be rebuilt and so God can sit on that throne but also to get things fulfilled so this person can sit on the throne the problem is when you look at the Greek construction of this phrase the temple there are two words in New Testament for temple one of them nanos and the other one is Huron. The nanos word is one, is a place where, the, um, where a deity dwells, okay? Nanos, where a deity dwells, basically his house. The other word for temple, Huron, is where the priest works. And that included the entire temple complex, its courts, and its buildings. So there is a difference. The word that's used here when he says this man of, this man of lawlessness is going to sit in his seat in the temple is the word nanos. In other words, it's the place where God dwells, okay? It's not the one that, you, and when you see, when you look at, run the references on the temple in the New Testament, the word that's, almost, that's always used is Huron, the place where the priest works. It's, it's different. So when, right, when for, uh, without going into all the possibilities of what this means, when Paul uses this phrase, takes a seat in God's temple, it's likely figurative language that denotes the way the person declares himself as God by saying, hey, I'm, sit I'm sitting where God sits. He's taking God's place is what he's doing. He's not literally going to be sitting on the throne in Jerusalem. And by the way, some people think that, but where does it say that? It doesn't. It doesn't. And when you start looking in the original text, it makes it very clear that it doesn't even imply that. <laughs> Verse 5, Paul reminds the readers that he'd already taught them this stuff. He says, why do we have to cover this again? But the other thing about the man of lawlessness is the fact that he is being held back. He said, Paul said, hey, lawlessness is going on right now, but the man who's going to really put it on steroids is being held back, and that person holding him back is God. See, lawlessness is at work, but this person won't be fully going at it until God allows him to be revealed. God's going to let him roam free. 
but then the third event will take place. He will be revealed. The man of lawlessness is not Satan, but empowered by Satan to do signs, wonders, false things. This person will use every trick in the book to delude people into following him. Now, the other thing you need to notice is who is his work directed toward? It's directed to those who are perishing, those who reject Jesus. He is not, I'm sure he hopes to snag them, but his whole point is to bring more and more of the lost people and get them even more lost where there's no hope. And it's really sad because look at verses 9 and 10 again with me. The arrival of the lawless one will be by Satan's working with all kinds of miracles, signs, and false wonders, with every kind of evil deception directed toward those who are perishing because they found no place in their hearts for the truth so as to be saved. When we see this stuff, we need to buckle down so that we can try to help as much as we can. But people say, well, why is God sending this deluding influence? Why is God letting this happen? Remember Pharaoh in the Old Testament? God says, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you chances. And finally, it says God, God hardened his heart. He knew he wasn't going to change this. Okay, here you go. And I think God's going to get to a point where he's with people. It's like, you know what? I've given you every opportunity. I've given you everything I can. And if you don't want to believe in me, here you go. And he just finally puts the seal on it. Notice it talks about it's those who rejected Jesus. And then it says what's going to happen to them. And this should break our hearts. They're going to be condemned. They're going to be condemned. We shouldn't want that for people. This is why we have to share the gospel. We don't want to wait for some false event that the book, you know, some of these movies and stuff to pick. We need to be serious about winning people to Jesus now because one of two things is going to happen. They're going to die or the Lord's going to return. And they got to be ready. You can't make them come to Christ, but boy, you can do everything you can to show them Jesus and to tell them about Jesus. That's our job as a church. Our job isn't just to come in here and listen to a sermon and give some money and pray and keep the building up. It's not that. It's to, it's to impact our community for Jesus because we know that without them, they are lost. Remember, Kevin's not going to heaven without Jesus. It just isn't going to happen. Verse 8 tells us that once this man of lawlessness is revealed... What's going to happen? The moment that the Lord returns, he will be destroyed. He'll be destroyed. Is your head spinning yet? <laughs> Soon as the Lord returns, going back to 1 Thessalonians at that point, he'll be destroyed. And you have to remember that the signs that we've just read about are going to happen before the second coming. Any system that puts them in between anything else is, in, is not biblical. Because the scripture says this will happen and then the second coming will happen and then judgment will happen. There's not going to be people leaving the earth <laughs> and then, oh, we hope the rest of them do okay and then this is going to happen and there's thousand years. That's just, Jesus himself said that's not basically, more or less Jesus said that's not going to happen himself. So let's look at verses 13 to 17. It says this, but we, ought, but we ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. He called you to the salvation through the gospel so that you may possess the, the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold on to the traditions that we taught you, whether by speech or letter, so that you... 
now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us by grace and gave us eternal comfort and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good thing you do or say. So Paul finishes up this section by saying, always stand firm in the truth. Now, Paul is encouraging his readers to stand firm on what's been taught either by word or by letter. In verse 13, he speaks of being chosen. And some people will take that and say, well, see, God picked picked people to be saved, but that's not what that means. All who answer the call of the gospel are chosen. It does not mean a random thing in eternity past where God says, you're saved, you're not, you're saved, you're not, you're saved, you're not. Because if that were the case, every scripture where God says that he desires all to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, number one, is false. It's a lie because he already picked the winners and losers. Make sense? So that, uh, that there's no possibility that that's even right. And Paul's, uh, we, we read in other Paul's writings that God's plan is what was predestined, that those who follow the plan are chosen by God. You want to be chosen by God? Answer the call of the gospel, and you're one of the chosen ones. And what's amazing about that is many people will say, well, you know, that's not true that God picked people in the beginning. And my question is, have you ever, or my thing is, have you ever noticed that everybody who believes that is one of the chosen ones? Makes you think, doesn't it? All who answer the call are sanctified by God. Sanctified means to be set aside for special service, to be made holy. We are made holy through the blood of Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes within us and marks us as belonging to God. God, or excuse me, Paul tells them, you need to hold on to what you've been taught. Now, he uses, I wish that we didn't translate this word tradition, because many times we have a lot of bad traditions in churches. But what he's saying is, follow the teaching. What's been taught is what's been taught. There's nothing new that's going to be added to the teaching of Scripture. So he's saying, follow what you've been taught. Don't fall for things that aren't true. The hope is good, he says. We've been, we, we have this good hope. It's good because the blood of Jesus gives you eternal life which gives your life worth. It brings your life joy. It brings your life fulfillment because now you know what your purpose in life is. Some people can go through many, many decades of life and not understand their purpose. And then finally, they kind of get to the end of, hey, I understand my purpose. And you're like, man, glad you figured it out. But all those years that were wasted. See, when you're in Christ, you have a purpose. And your purpose is to live for him, to grow in him, and to tell others about him, and to try to do all that we can to help other people come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ so they can have eternal life by accepting him. As we look at this passage today, boy, there's a lot of stuff here. And honestly, could have had a sermon pretty much on most every verse in here. But when you look at this, what Paul is saying, he says, listen, don't fall for what's not true. We have a lot of people, there's a lot of people who used to be Christians who have fallen for things that aren't true. When people come to you with stuff don't just say, I think I believe, I wonder, it doesn't. What does Scripture say? What does Scripture say? Because not everyone's right. In our society, well, everyone's right. No, they're not. One plus one is not 15. I wish it was true because my bank account would be even bigger. But anyway, uh, it, it's not that way. One plus one is two. Any other answer is not true. And, well, are you being judgmental for saying that? No, you're just stating facts. And so our application today is that we, so that we can stand firm in the Lord, we have to know the truth. And so my challenge to you is anytime you read something outside of Scripture or somebody tries to tell you something in Scripture, look it up, study it, line it up with Scripture, 
be discerning. Don't be a sheep and just fall for everything that you're taught because that happens so much in our, we're so, in our society today, we are so short. I even find myself sometimes when I'm going to study a passage and then I come across some study material that's like this long, I'm like, oh, how can I summarize this? Where's the Cliff Notes version? I mean, it's really easy because everything is so fast-paced today. You know, our kids, we're struggling with kids because they got their faces in their phones all the time and they don't know how to pay attention anymore because everything is so fast. They're being stimulated so fast. But anyway, we need to be able to stand firm in the Lord, but we can only do that when we know the truth. This morning, our praise team is going to come up and lead us in a song of decision. And if you've not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we give you that opportunity this morning to do so. God sent his son and he sent his son so that you could have eternal life. And what a sad thing. Imagine, if you will, that you were struggling horribly financially. We can relate to this. And everything's getting more expensive. The economy's booming in a wrong way. And you're hardly making your bills. You're about to lose everything. But this whole time, you've had someone, in, someone that you know, a family, a friend, who's got a, a $500,000 check that they want to give you tax-free but you never go for it. And you struggle and struggle and struggle when you don't have to, when you can be taken care of. And many times in life, man, we're struggling and struggling and struggling. We don't have to because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And he can give us that eternal life. He can bring peace to us. It's not just about going to heaven. That's humongous, but it's also about the life we live here. He can bring you joy, purpose, peace. You tired of being stressed out? Maybe you need to come to Jesus and give it to him. It'll change you. This morning, if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward this morning. If you're an immersed believer and would like to, to make First Christian your home, we'd love to have you come forward. And maybe there's something in your life right now that you're really struggling with and you need to pray about. If you'd like to, if you come forward, I'd be glad to pray with you. Or one of our elder, elders, Roger, would be glad to pray with you. But if you have a decision, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing our song of decision together.
Good morning. It's been a while since I've been up here, but this is a very special day for us as our three daughters are here with us and my brother here for the weekend. I really can't call the ladies my kid, our kids anymore as they're all retired, <laughs> and that term is reserved for our six great-grandkids. We've come to a special time in our worship service, communion or the Lord's Supper. It's special because it's part of God's overall plan for our salvation. Communion is one sacrament that has remained essentially the same since instituted by Jesus some 2,000 years ago at the Last Supper. I believe that communion is the most important part of our worship format because it can bring us the closest to Jesus. In Matthew, we read, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the, for the forgiveness of sins. And Luke adds, Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. 
Of course, Jesus wants us to remember him, all that he did and taught, dying on the cross in our place and rising on the third day. But there's much more. Fast forward to the present day. Jesus is alive and well and present here today. He wants a personal relationship with each of us. He wants fellowship with us, talking and communing with us. He has prepared this meal for us. This is a time that each of us comes face to face, one on one with Jesus. Have a conversation with him. Tell him your concerns. Thank him for what he has done for you. Ask him to show you any areas where you may be coming up short. This may be your closest encounter with Jesus this week. Take a few moments, prepare your heart. May this time at his table remind us to live every day in remembrance and gratitude for all that Jesus is doing in us and for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you with thanksgiving and humility. We thank you for loving each of us so much that you sent your only son to die on the cross in our place for the forgiveness of our sins. We thank you for prescribing this communion meal where each of us can draw close to Jesus. He has prepared this meal and invites us to his table. As we prepare to receive these elements, we thank you for the opportunity to commune with you one-on-one. -on -one. We remember what Jesus suffered for our salvation and the love you have for us. Father, we thank you for the greatest gift of all. We pray that you would guide us in our daily lives so that others who do not know you would see Christ through us. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.
On the inside of our bulletin, we have our announcements for this week. The Harvest Party preparation is underway. You can see the items that we're trying to collect. Operation Christmas Child is looking for various items. Also, the annual Thanksgiving dinner is taking place in less than a month. So there's a sign-up sheet for that, and we'll have a good time. That's going to take place on Sunday, November 12th. Our annual business meeting is coming up on December 3rd. Also this uh, today, Jerry has all of his groups. Roger's group is meeting. We have Young at Heart on Monday featuring, uh, corp, uh, is that Corporal or, yeah, Borgstad uh, will be meeting with us. Uh, the LOL group's meeting with Jules. We have all of our Bible studies this week. Prime time, we're going to go to Mandalay. So if you'd like to go that, please get signed up by Tuesday so we can get our numbers set properly. So at this time, I want to sh uh, we have a video from Operation Christmas Child we want to share with you. Suriname is a special country because God is working here. My name is uh, Frederick Yuri Wongso. I'm a pastor of this church, and Karin is my wife. The children need love, need attention, also a father figure. God can be their father that loves them. In 2011, we built this building, and at the same time, God has opened the door, and we are connected Operation Christmas Child. And the first time when they get the shoebox, they're very excited and so happy. You see a smile in face. We not give them only the box, we tell also about Jesus. Through the Operation Christmas Child, I share the gospel, I'm a teacher at a primary school, working with little children from um, 4 to 14 years, and that is the opportunity to share the greatest journey. I share God's love with the children through the pictures, through the um, books. The greatest journey is also a journey for the children where they learn to talk with God as their father and to share the gospel. Together with the church members, we come together and we play soccer. And so we can play and talk about the Bible. A young boy, uh, his name is Rishan. His life changed when he gave a shoebox. And he said, I will be a drummer in the church. I heard from the drums and that I saw when he in the church the drums because that day he the gift carried the keys in my hand and I learned that the drums that he had talent from the drums I believe when we pray and we pray also every day for the children and I believe he touched the children. My hope for Suriname is that more children getting involved with the greatest journey and that every child in Suriname become a follower of Christ. So as you can see, the, uh, the boxes that are sent out, they, they just change lives. And so we encourage you to take some boxes and uh, we will uh, be glad to get um, to get as many of those sent out as possible. I think that's all the announcements for this week. So as far as our prayer concerns, you can see those on the back of the bulletin. We have many people that we've been praying for. Um, we have folks that have been struggling with their health. We have, we have troops who are deployed. Uh, we have 
we're praying for Operation Christmas Child. We're praying for CareNet as our mission this month. And we're also praying for our nation and praying for what's going on in the Middle East right now and in Israel. So we ask that you take those up to the Lord. So at this time, let's stand together and you can um, take your hearts to the Lord and then I'll I'll close this in a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for the blessings that we have in you. And Lord, we have many people we've been lifting up that are struggling with their health. We have troops who are deployed. We have a lot of unrest going on in the world right now. And Lord, I just pray that you bring us peace. Help us to know that you hear our prayers. And Father, I just pray that we can see some powerful works through you. Lord, as we uh, get ready to depart from this place today, I I pray that we can have a heart of joy and a determination to love you and to share that love with others around us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for church this morning. Have a wonderful week in the Lord, everybody.